0: So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. I would encourage you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 7. Today we'll be in Genesis chapter 7, and as you're turning in your Bibles here in the sanctuary, I would encourage uh, those who are worshiping in the Family Life Center uh, to turn with us also to chapter 7 as we continue in our Ongoing series entitled, In the Beginning. Ironically, today's message is not entitled Ark, Uh, that was last week. Today, you'll notice on your worship guides in here, um, it's entitled Rain. Thank you. (laughs) I told you that when I finish this doctrine, I'll be more capable. And so, (laughs) next week I'm praying and preaching on sunshine. So, no, in just a moment, we're going to read a a great many lines of this text. So we'll do that as the sermon progresses. But for now, can we take a moment to take a breath as we prepare the mind and heart for the transformation that God may want to bring in any of us as we open the sacred word? Let's pray together. Bring on the rain. Let it rain. Oh, rainmaker. Let the rain fall in big, fat drops on our heads to remind us who is the giver of all good things. We've gathered in this room. On this campus, in the Family Life Center, and some are gathering right now with us online, and Heavenly Father, we we recognize the drought of the soul. We recognize the places where we thirst. We recognize and we bring to this moment of recognition the confession that we need your rain more than we often confess. We need you to pour out of your goodness and grace and mercy and character, everything that we are missing in any of those things. Today, as we open up the word, we pray that you would bless us, but not, Heavenly Father, so that we would simply be blessed. (laughs) How selfish that would be. But we open up your word and pray that you would bless us so that we would be transformed, so that not a single one of us can leave this place thinking the same, or feeling the same, or behaving the same. Change our hearts, change our minds, change our our action because of something that we see in your word. Help us today to ready ourselves for the repair of the world. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So today we will continue, but we find ourselves in part number nine, rain. In part number nine, we find ourselves in the middle of the narrative of the great flood. We have said, we began saying last week, that the flood is kind of the apex of this entire stretch of Genesis 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. That it is kind of the apex. It's it's what everything has been moving toward and it's what everything else after it will move away from in this first 11 chapters of the book, which we have said is a different kind of Bible. We've said these first 11 chapters, it's not intending to do science, it's not intending to do history, it's intending to do something that transforms the heart and mind of the believer. It's a truth section. It's telling stories filled with images and symbols and people and events that are meant to stoke and provoke the imagination of faith in real people like you and me. And do you remember what's happened thus far? Here we are in chapter 7, chapter 1 and 2, God, out of God's own character, decides to create a community God creates the universe, existence itself. But out of that sense of community that God was, Father, Son, and Spirit, where each is mutually loving and mutually um, submissive to one another, each serving the needs of the other, out of that character of the Trinity, God pours out of God existence. And makes us in such a way that God has the hope that we will live and be and behave the way that God is and behaves. That we too would abide with one another in mutual love and service and submission to each other. That we will see each other's needs and rush to meet them for one another. That we would care for one another and be as Eden, as Eden is described, in perfect harmony. Or as the Hebrews say, shalom with one another. That's chapter one and two in beautiful and poetic way we are invited to imagine what existence is supposed to be. Chapter three then happens and as we've been saying chapter three always happens. (laughs) Chapter three always happens. That's where we choose to live outside of our boundary freedom because we choose to not be content with what we have in the garden. You may eat freely of all these trees. They are pleasant to the sight and good for food. But there are a couple over here you must avoid. Live in this boundary and you will have freedom and be content. But instead, in chapter 3, we move outside of our boundaried freedom and take from places that are not meant to give life but rob us of it. And so we see in chapter 4 and 5 and 6, all of life begins to spiral out of control and spiral further away from the Edenic vision that God had when God thought this entire enterprise into being. So chapter 4, 5, and 6 gives us a glimpse of what life looks like east of Eden, And here we are, last week we began the flood story and we have said that the story of the flood is not a story about the destruction of the world, but because God commands Noah to construct an ark, suddenly this story is not about the destruction of the world, but it's about the rescue from the destruction of the world. It's not a story about the destruction of the world, but a story about rescue from a world of destruction. And this is where we find ourselves today. In order to move us through the rain that will begin in just a moment, I want to give us three words to navigate. Three anchoring points, I guess you might say, as we find our way in this arc. Three anchoring points, and these three words that will help us navigate the voyage of this sermon today are these. Perfect storms, wine corks, and Humpty Dumpty. Perfect storms, wine corks, and Humpty Dumpty. First, perfect storms. We begin reading in chapter... 7 verse 11 in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights on the very same day Noah and his sons Mo, Larry, and just kidding, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons entered into the ark, and they, with every wild animal of every kind, all the domestic animals of every kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every bird of every kind, every bird, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah. Two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. This is a curious place to start. And we begin our text today with what I'm going to call peculiar precipitation. Peculiar precipitation. Precipitation did you notice in the text that rain is coming from everywhere water is flooding everywhere the word comes in chapter 7 verse 11 is the line on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were open right and in beautiful form it's an interaction with chapter one do you know that do you know that this description of the great flood It's a creative and poetic description that attempts to undo some things that happen in chapter 1. Do you remember that in chapter 1, before anything existed, there was what we said a few weeks ago was watery chaos, nothing but watery chaos, and God created separation in the watery chaos and created a way. For a a, a dome in the ancient mind, the ancient way to understand the cosmos, to create a dome that separated waters above from waters below. This is what it says in verse 6 of that chapter. It says, And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. It's a gorgeous image. Don't forget the context. Don't forget the context out of which this scripture emerges. We think of it as being very, very, very old because it's the beginning of the Bible and it talks about the beginning things. But don't forget that the text itself emerged rather late in the 6th century during Babylonian exile when people were living in a world that had collapsed. In a world of exile and chaos and for the first time they hear... That God is a God who even in the midst of chaos has it all together. This is the God who's introduced to this great story by coming into the waters of chaos and really just separating it, opening up the windows in such a way as to create a dome that keeps at bay all the waters of chaos so that God could create a space a space in which to exist and to love and to be in communion with one another. That's, that's beautiful. But in, in chapter 7, the dome has collapsed. It has come down on itself. We're told that water is opened up because the windows of heaven opened up and and poured forth rain, but we're told that the great deep subterranean sources of water exploded forth between each crack in the ground and the whole world is submerged. There's a word for it. The word is deluge. Deluge is a word that means total and complete submersion. Isn't that... How all storms are. When I think about the multi directional source of the great flood that we're talking about, I think about how it comes from every direction. It occurs to me that I think about one of my favorite theologians, my favorite 20th century theologian, Forrest Gump, <laughs> who said in Vietnam, it rained all the time, right? And you see, there's a little bit of stinging rain. A big old fat rain. A rain that came in sideways and sometimes rain seemed to come up from underneath. Well, forest is describing in recent contemporary context the experience of deluge in which everything is covered. I don't know of a real storm that doesn't come that way. In September of 1991, the Andrea Gale, a small fishing boat, left the coast of Massachusetts, headed to the North Atlantic to do its run, to do its fishing run. Well, it never came back. It was torn to pieces in what meteorologists at the time described as, at the time, the fiercest storm in recorded history. They only found pieces of debris. The bodies were never recovered of all six crew members. See, what had happened was there were three storms that were brewing. Over Canada, there was a warm front that moved toward New England. Also in Canada, there was a high pressure system moving south to the New England area, to the eastern coast, while at the same time, there was the remnant of Hurricane Grace that had moved up the eastern seaboard. It was dying down, but when Grace met the high pressure system and the warm temperatures, it resurged and created what meteorologists call the perfect storm. A book was written about it, maybe you even saw the movie. There was a movie made about it. Here's just a quick clip from that movie. Just kidding. <laughs> there it okay. There it is. Here's a quick clip, but the but the, the movie describes this moment of absolute deluge in which the vessel is completely capsized and i i think that's how our storms in life it's not that a high pressure system can't be handled it's not that a hurricane can't be handled it's not that warm temperatures and a warm fr- can't be handled but altogether, it creates this super system and it's not that the relationship problems that you're going through can't be handled right But the problem is the relationship is is suddenly under attack and, and in the middle of attempting to maybe figure out how to fix this thing, we get the diagnosis. And now all energy is focused on the diagnosis and and the treatment. In the middle of the treatment, though, we can't attend the things that we knew were under the surface, and all of a sudden, the insurance company kind of does a thing, and and it's no longer accepting the the, the payments, and, and you're able to now have financial stress on top of your health stress and your relational stress, and it's all at the same time that you're about to launch the kids into college. See, none of those are are too big and bad for any of us. But there are moments when they all collide in the super system, this kind of perfect storm, when it seems as if, oh my gosh, I am not going to make this. It's coming at me from all sides. It rained on Noah from all sides. From every direction. And yet I told you earlier that this is not a story of destruction. So ironically, if this is a story about rescue, we pay attention to the reality that in the midst of storms that come from all directions, what do we hear that Noah does? He enters into this ark that he made. God tells him to make this ark, and it seems ridiculous. It seems absurd to make this ark in the middle of nowhere where there is no water. But he trusts, and he does the strange thing. Little does he know that the strange thing that God had put on his heart to do would be his rescue. And then a curious line in the text, and the Lord shut him in. And he was safe. There is no way to avoid storms. I'm sorry. I wish I, there is no way to avoid the storms of life, but there there absolutely is a way to learn to navigate them in such a way that it does not do you in. And what does the text tell us? The text tells us you survive the storm by listening to the voice of the rainmaker who will tell you what to do in the storm. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 7 because Jesus is talking about listening to his instructions. Matthew 7 comes at the conclusion of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I made you nervous when I just came over there, when I just kind of stopped short. Right there. Okay. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Look, all of these teachings, they matter. Trust me. Put them into practice. But then he says, There are some results if you put them into practice, and there are some results if you don't put them into practice. This is how he said it. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them, see hearing is one thing, acting on them is another, all they who hear my words and act on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded. On rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What do you do when the storms come at you from all directions? You tune your ear to the voice of the rainmaker. What is it that God may be asking you to do that right now seems ridiculous? What is it that God has has provoked in you to do, to act on, to to respond to, that may seem like it makes no sense because it's like an ark in the middle of nowhere and there's no water anywhere? Is it possible that the thing that God is calling you to do, to, to go out in faith, to to join the church, to to be a part of a ministry, to to invest your life in another human being, whatever the ark is that God has called you to build, what if God is calling you to do what seems unreasonable because God knows that the storm clouds are brewing? And this is your rescue. So, first movement, first anchor. If we drop anchor, we drop anchor at perfect storms. The second anchor is what I'm going to call wine corks. We pick up the reading in verse 17. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters swelled and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters swelled so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters swelled above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all the flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all human beings. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, human beings and animals and creeping things from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark and the waters swelled on the earth for 150 days. This is curious to me. This begins the undo, God's great undo of creation. We spoke last week that God was beginning the acts of uncreating the world. And here we see the first few steps. That even you pay attention to the rhythm and the order and the cadence of what we just read together it is meant to reflect back on chapter 1 as a mirror image because in chapter order, in this order, in chapter 1, we read that God introduced into this created space, God introduced birds of the air, creeping things, then some animals and humans. But here in chapter 7, In the great undo, in the uncreation of the world, God reverses the order. Did you notice? And He blots out human beings and animals and things that creep on the ground and birds. God is hitting reboot. And maybe the most tragic of all that we just read a moment ago is that place, that place where we're told that everything on earth. In whose nostrils was the breath of life, they died too. This may be the most tragic because it describes the undo of the intimacy that we were intended to have. Do you remember in chapter 2? In chapter 2, when God creates the first people out of the mud, the clay, the dirt, the dust, God leans over and blows into the nostrils of that first mud man God's own life. And they share an intimate moment. There's even a play on words in the Hebrew where they go af to af. The Hebrew word is, is af for nostril. They go nostril to nostril. And he breathes intimately with the one in whom he wants to have life and do life and share life with. But here it's as if the writer is telling us in the great undo, God takes back the breath. Takes back the breath of life and the only one remaining is Noah floating around on the surface for 150 days 150 days is a long time do you know that 150 days into 2018 is May the 30th that's from January 1 to May 30th so think about what you were doing on New Year's Eve those of you who are bulldogs I know what you were doing on New Year's Eve think about what you were doing then And then moving through January, February, March, April, May, the entire duration floating, just kind of floating, floating, kind of like an image I want to put before you here. I've got this wine cork that I found in the Methodist parking lot that I (laughs) just wanted to make sure that, you know, I was walking through the parking lot one day and and I just want to place it here on the top because you know what's going to happen I'm going to put it on the top of this water and it's going to float there but if we can get kind of a tight shot of this I just want us to look for just a moment no matter what we do here I can twist it around I can blow on it I can stir the waters it's going to go where the current or the direction of the wind tells it to go and I just hope, can we take for just a moment enough time to consider that this is what it feels like after the storm. What just happened. Does anybody know what it means and what it feels like to, to feel so vulnerable and overwhelmed that you have virtually no control over anything at all? And you are at the disposal of the wind and the current and the you just like, a, like a, a cork on the water and can we do this can we expand this image instead of thinking about this in the, in the little punch bowl that I have here can you just imagine this tiny vulnerable little cork in a, a swimming pool or maybe in the middle of Lake Lanier or better yet let's just say Atlant- the Atlantic Ocean huh? this same cork same size bobbing around absolutely helpless and at the total at the total uh, dispense of whatever elements are around it. And this is what I think about when most of the storms in our life come to hit us. And yet, that may make us feel a little nervous See, this is supposed to be a rescue sermon, right? Where I say, hey, even when the storms come, you're going to be fine. On Christ, a solid rock, you're going to be just great. Most of the time, the job of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted, right? To comfort the afflicted. But there are some days when the job of the preacher is to afflict the comfortable. And and can I just afflict the comfortable by saying, what if, oh my gosh, what if this image of a floating, helpless, vulnerable cork on the on the sea is an image that's meant to convey what faith looks like, what faith looks like. In the year 891, on the coast of Ireland, three monks decide to get into a boat. They want to go on a pilgrimage. They want to just go and give their life in total relinquishment to to God. To go on pilgrimage, and so they, they get in this boat, but the boat has no oars, and no sail, and no rudder. And they shove off in 891 off the coast of Ireland into the waters. They have enough provisions for about three days, and they last about seven. Miraculously, they were able to be content with the trees that were good for fruit and not wish that they had more. They were able to know, as our uh, women discovered this weekend and were reminded of each other that this is enough, that what we have is enough. But on that boat, there were three There were three days worth of supplies, and they, they lived seven days with it. Eventually, they show up on the, on the south of England on Cornwall, and when they, when, they, when they shove up onto the shore, they're taken to the king, to King Alfred of Wessex who inquires of these three Celtic Christians, where have you come from, and and what are you doing? What is your objective setting out into the elements with a boat like that? And their words, which are still repeated to this day, were these. We stole away because we wanted, for the love of God, to be on pilgrimage. We cared not where. And beginning right there, they're initiated a movement, a spiritual movement called Peregrinatio, a Celtic uh, experience in spirituality, which is the Peregrinatio is a word that means perpetual pilgrimage. That you and I are meant to be in this life on perpetual pilgrimage. We're not meant to control life or manipulate life, but we've been given life by the grace of God, and so we go where the wind and the waves take us because the maker of the wind and the maker of the waves knows what God is doing. Later, one of the most famous peregrini, a person who does the peregrinatio, his name was St. Columbanus. St. Columbanus came up with a phrase that helped describe this. He called it hospitus mundi, Guests of the world. What if you and I were able to engage life in such a way that that was our posture? That we know storms will come and you can't stop them from coming. But what if hospitus mundi? What if we understood that we are guests in this world and we trust the maker of the world? And so, like a cork on the sea, we move around because there he is, Noah, floating around for 150 days trusting so I was with a friend recently and we went for some coffee and and we were talking just about life and some things that were coming down the pike and over the next couple of years there is some uncertainty some uncertainty in this person's journey and he said to me I said well how are you gonna deal with that what's your, what's your plan and, and he said something that I have not been able to get out of my mind he said My mouth is closed and my hands are open. It's a reference to the book of Job. Uh, The book of Job, where after he had suffered everything, every kind of perfect storm, and lost everything that was valuable to him, he comes and takes a whirlwind tour of the universe with God. And God shows him how big God is and how small Job is. And Job says, I am small, I shut my mouth. But then earlier in the book, the oldest book of the Bible, by the way, and earlier in the book of Job, this is where we hear Job offer these amazing words. Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What if if this is the point, everyone? What if this is the point, my sisters and brothers, that in in this journey that we call faith, maybe it ought to require a little bit of it. That even as the winds blow and the, well, the, the waves crash upon us, maybe that's the point is that we find a way to have a posture that says my mouth is closed and my hands are open. And the Lord gives, you give and you take away and I will take what you give and I'll relinquish what you take away but blessed be the name of the Lord. So Noah floated. For 150 days he floated but like a cork on the ocean. You know what I've observed about corks on the ocean? They're unsinkable. No matter what I do to hold it down, I mean, I can hold it down here, but it's going to pop back up because there's something buoyant on the inside of this thing. Its makeup allows it not to sink. Do you realize that when we make it through one storm, we create the muscle tissue to make it into the other storm. We create a sacred memory that that one didn't kill me. I'm still here. When you trust in the Lord in such a way that you allow your life to be like a, like a cork on the sea, it makes you unsinkable. Unsinkable. Perfect storms. Create unsinkable corks. Which leads us to the third and final anchor. Third and final anchor. You've been waiting for it. Humpty Dumpty. So listen, I've got some tragic news. It's bad news. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. That's not so bad. The trouble is Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the kings horses, right, and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, there is a kind of brokenness that we can experience in this life that no resource in the world can repair. And I think about that when I think about the opening verse of chapter 8, because in the opening verse of chapter 8, we read these words, but God remembered Noah and the wild animals and the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. That's interesting to me. God remembered Noah. It's not like God had forgotten. He was binge watching something on Netflix and forgot that the thing, you know. God didn't forget, nor does God forget. But do you know that every major world religion calls on its people to remember every religion to remember who you are where you're from how you got here remember 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 even in our sacred faith when we gather around the table and we break bread and we pour the cup we say that when we do this we are remembering Christ and that yes we we do remember it's kind of a memorial meal in one sense but it's more than just remembering something that happened so long ago when we remember the body of Christ, uh, we, we remember in the literal sense. In other words, like the opposite of dismember. Like the opposite of dismember. The body of Christ is spread out, scattered all over the whole world, which is kind of the point, right? So when we gather together from this dismembering world, we gather to remember the body. To bind up the broken. To become stronger in the places where we have cracked. When we remember the body of Christ, that's exactly what's happening. When you come to church, you ought to be remembered from this dismembering world. And this is the way I believe that God was remembering Noah. Not because God had forgotten something. Oh, what was I supposed to do? It's Thursday. But because God deliberately was remembering something that had become dismembered. Noah was the only floating family of this dismembered world. Everyone else was gone. And more than everyone else being gone, the vision itself, the whole idea, the whole family has been broken up. And God begins the process of remembering Noah into this glorious and beautiful vision that God has for Noah's existence and your existence and my existence. So God remembers Noah in a unique way. As the text continues, we see, And God made a wind blow over the earth. I love this. The wind blows over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters gradually receded from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month of the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. Is this not gorgeous? With language that is deliberately calling our memory back to chapter 1 and 2 again. Here in the midst of watery chaos, in the beginning when God sent God's ruach, The the wind, spirit, the breath of God over the watery chaos to separate it so that dry ground could emerge here again after the flood. God sends the same word, ruach. God sends the same wind, breath, spirit over the chaos, the contemporary chaos, the current chaos, so that there may be the recreation of the world. He blows over the winds like he did once before and dry ground begins to emerge. The mountain peaks begin to show themselves. And and the message is this, that in Noah, God was attempting to remake the world all over again. But not just in Noah, beloved, not just in Noah, but because Noah agreed to be a cork on the ocean, to trust wherever it is that the wind and waves of God would take him, It meant that in Noah and with Noah, God would create the world again. And I'm telling you that in the heart of every individual who opens up their life in the same way, God will remake the world in you. In you. In every new believer who says, you know what, I've been through some storms and, and, and I, I don't know how I made it, but I weathered them and here I am, but I yield myself to be a cork on the ocean. I yield myself to go wherever it is that you, that you choose for me to go with that kind of surrender and yieldedness and relinquishment. God remakes the world in you. And in the same way, by giving you breath, ruach, wind, spirit, and, and not only for you, but so that through you, you become the breath that brings a fresh breath to a world that is drowning in the chaotic waters of self-destruction. You are the breath of God. Can you do something for me and with me for just a moment? Can you just place your hand... On your chest and just take a few deep breaths with me will you just go ahead and take a few deep cleansing breaths and I I want you to feel your breath just do it just now you didn't put that there the one who seems to think the world can be created in you put that there And you only have a few left. What will you do with them? Will you be a fresh breath of air? Will you bring words of reconciliation to a divided world? Will you bring forgiveness to a bitter world? Will you bring fairness, justice, equity, love, to a world divided in on itself. Maybe the first thing we do is use our breath to say a prayer like this. God, I've been through the storm. And it's been more than I thought I could bear. But somehow you have you have brought me through this for some reason. And like a cork on the ocean, it feels so isolating. It can feel so alone. I feel as if there, I'm just helpless, but I... I sense that it may not be helpless. It may be the way to relinquish control to you. So bind me in my broken places. Remember me so that together we may remember this dismembering world. Let's pray god we do stop for a moment just to acknowledge the potential power of a yielded life we confess to you the thing that's easy to confess and that is we can't control the rain but maybe we we confess the thing that's a little more difficult to confess that we don't want to try to control it anymore So today, we pray that you would liberate someone from the illusion that they must be the rainmaker, the sustainer, the ark. Liberate us by reminding us that's your job and make someone free today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.